Welcome to another fun-filled, fireworks-concluding episode <laughs> of Say Sura, the Music Explorers podcast. As always, I'm Scoot Magoot. I'm Jim Jam. And we were just musing before uh, this, our latest anniversary episode, that uh, not only do we have, once again, some nice variety genre-wise, but a uh, pretty, pretty decent gap between each of these albums usually you have a couple that are you know within five or so years of each other or whatever but i think all these albums really come from their own era and it's you know sound as such i think that they really represent you know the genre of the time so to speak um Mm, yeah well yeah some of them some of them pointed for some of them were you know groundbreaking for their particular styles and obviously we'll get to that um yeah uh, I, I also, I think before we dive into these, um, I was stupid and I did not, uh, you know, sort of check um, the facts of certain things. And so uh, a lot of like most of these uh, don't actually come out in November, but um, they're kind of close enough. So we're counting it. But I think it's also because we really wanted to talk about these anyway. So um you know, fuck it. Here we go. <laughs> you know what? That is my motto for a lot of things. Fuck it. Here we go. So <laughs> I, I, I don't blame you at all. And I think famous I mean, last words. I think you said they <laughs> came. It, here we go. <laughs> I think you said they all came out in like October or whatever. So that's so yeah. Uh, one comes came out in September. Oh, okay. um, one was October and another was December. And you then one was actually November. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? We're, we're in the fall. We're, we're yeah. around, you know, it's not like it's, you know, February. And at the end of the day, it's still the year. So. Yes. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway. But speaking of gaps in years, this first one <laughs> is, uh, is pretty, pretty old. Uh, this is Tenor Madness by Sonny Rollins. Came out in 1956, which... If my math is correct, that was 65 years ago, which is actually crazier to say out loud, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> but I think what's crazier is that Sonny Rollins is still alive. I know he's one. Of, I always like, forget that, and he's which I mean, not not to be morbid. I, I I don't mean it like that. It's just like he was so young when he came out with this album. I mean, like like not to already get off topic, but I was listening to uh in in a podcast uh, interviewing Herbie Hancock. And just, he was talking about, like, oh, yeah, you know, it was, like, 63, and I was, like, working on, you know, like, working with Miles for the first time, things like that. And I'm thinking, like, 63, man. Like, like <laughs> Christ. <laughs> I know. No, and it, it's it's really, um, it, it is kind of crazy to think that he's still alive. Not that, like, I, I don't want that. I want all <laughs> yeah. people to live as, you know, long, healthy lives. But uh, when you think about it, they're a very very few of like the major players in that era who are still alive um yeah i mean and he's, wayne shorter yeah is, is still there and he certainly yeah. was a major player i think you, you maybe you could call him the saxophone colossus if you will um mm. nothing nothing yeah nothing no, I, I thought no. that i thought that was a softball but still yeah 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 <laughs> but yes obviously <laughs> saxophone colossus is probably what he's most known for um i actually have a, one of his first albums called work time i have that on like the original vinyl 
Pressing, which is uh, is a good album. It's again, we're talking about fifties, you know, kind of bop, more or less what you'd expect. His older st- or his not older, but you know, uh, East Broadway Rundown. I'm glad that I Wikipedia up. You know, got a little bit more <laughs> experimental that came out in '66, so a decade later. Um, this album in particular that we're talking about today, Tenor Madness, uh, I don't know if it's... I mean, I think it's regarded well in terms of yeah. his his output, but I don't know if... It, I think Saxophone Colossus obviously comes first, and then uh, East Robert Rundown um, you know, kind of comes yeah. in for like I mean, a late career A jam. couple other ones. I'm Like, Nuke's Time is, is a personal favorite of mine. Um, yeah. Uh, the Bridge is is really great, too. You know, I, I mean, Sonny Rollins has, a, has just... I, I think just kind of like every jazz player from his time just has like a bazillion albums and it's it, it's just like after a while you, you just can't keep track of all of them um, but like you know they, it, we're talking about this like specific like point in his career where he is just like kicking ass yeah and like nobody can stop him and yeah yeah and, and, and to that regard this is you know great bop you know just really I mean exactly what you'd expect from this period, you know, kind of the golden age of, of kind of what most people think of when they think about your traditional jazz ensembles. This very much hits the nail on the head. However, I think the reason we're talking about this uh, and the reason that it's, it's, or at least what attracted my attention to it at first, and I think why most people are aware of it or regard it, uh, this is the only time he collaborated with John Coltrane. It's the, the the title track, Tender Madness, which I think makes sense that they would pick that as the name and, and that that would be a you know a theme considering they're both well-known tenor players. Uh, only time mm-hmm. they played together, which uh, I think we were talking about it when we were going over what albums to cover, that in some yeah. ways it's surprising, but I think you pointed out and made a, made a good case that it's actually probably not that surprising, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just not... I don't know. I I mean, maybe it's sort of uh, sort of a retrospective um, view of sort of you know just how we view like these kind of you know uh, bop quintets and whatnot. Um, but it it it, I, it it mostly seems like it's one instrument, you know, per quintet or you know per group in a way. Yeah, like you rarely see, you know, you know, two uh, of the same instrument. Um, you know, they, obviously that there are exceptions to the rule. I mean, um, you know, Sonny Stitt and uh, Sonny Rollins and Dizzy Gillespie all did an album. And I'm, I think Stitt is a um, the sax player. If I remember right. I feel like I'm going to get that really wrong. Um, <laughs> just off the top of my head, but they, yeah, they, they they did an album called Sunny Side of the Street, which is really great. It's an album I own actually. Um, I love it. But yeah, it's 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 just. I, I, I feel like that sort of Bob Quintet quartet formula was just so let like you know it's so purposefully pared down from like the big band that a lot of those artists were kind of rebelling against to some extent that like you know it, it almost makes sense that you, you kind of want to have the widest variety of, of tones that you can um, so you know you, you want to just keep you know drums, bass, piano you know, and who, you know, who else you might want to have, usually a trumpet and a sax, but, you mm-hmm. know, it, sometimes it can just be a quartet, you know, I, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, like, in, in that way, like, it, it's kind of odd, but 
in another, it's not like jazz musicians were, you know, not collaborating with each other all the time. You know, there are like just stories upon stories of just legendary happenings that, you know, weren't always, um, you know, in like a recording studio. You know, there are jam sessions and things like that and like just live dates that didn't get recorded and what have you. So it, it, it's all kind of nebulous. Um, I, I think something else that um, I think we didn't talk about, though, is that um, Rollins uses um, Miles's uh, backing uh, quintet back from uh, when he was doing sort of the Miles Davis quintet, uh, if I remember right. Or like I think it's like first grade quartet. So like you've got like Red Garland on piano and, and people like that. Um, which I thought was really interesting that, you know, he sort of took that entire lineup um, and then had them working for him in mm-hmm. this time. I mean, to, to be fair, like, again, this isn't exactly a new thing either. Uh, you know, you always have these people, you know, always playing around. And, you know, actually, not to get too off track, but this is something I find really cool about jazz and sort of I, I love how this is kind of continued into, you know, what's called like new music and sort of the uh, the New York downtown scene in general. It's just that you, you have like all these artists who are kind of distinct entities unto themselves, but they aren't above being like sidemen on someone else's album. Like, I, I really like that. Like, I just love that that community aspect of it. It's something that just fascinates me. It's something that I, I really wish I could do in some ways, which, you know, kind of makes me want to move back to new york but (laughs) anyway um yeah like just anyway like i i i mean to kind of bring it back to this album i mean this is a great great little album um but i i i do feel like a lot of the attention is just on the title track in a way and like for obvious reasons but you know i i would say like don't pass this by in a way, because like while it's not my favorite Rollins album, it's still like a super strong album, you know, for what it is. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed revisiting it. Um, I mean, I, I think you could definitely hear the you know the distinct playing each of them has on the title track, but the you know, the rest of the album is certainly worth your time as well. I mean, I think I would encourage you know folks to use that as an op- you know, as an excuse to check out the album as a whole and don't you know mm-hmm. don't just you know check out that track and then move on you know there's certainly a lot of good stuff on here if, if you're at all interested in this period of jazz and certainly Rollins' er- you know early work or his particular style of playing this is a you know this is certainly not one to not one to pass up uh, I mean mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's it's you know this is certainly probably like a top five you could put together. Uh, you know, kind of blue, um, maybe like Giant Steps or Blue Blue Train. I guess you could argue there because Coltrane has so many great albums. But uh, this certainly would be you know the next outer tier of albums you would check out if you, if you really were into the obvious choices to get into this style of jazz. Yeah, but for sure, for sure. I mean, it's so, sometimes it's nice to have like that little album that kind of like blows the door open for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as opposed to just, oh, kind of start with kind of blue, but I mean, I, I, everybody's journey is a little bit different. So, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, I, I think it's interesting that it, it really depends on what you, 
what you come to first, you know, what, uh, what you happen to discover. Uh, I mean, I, I think with jazz, you know, kind of blue giant, like pretty much the ones you would expect were what got me into it. But certainly I could see someone, um, you know, with any genre, I know people who just dis- discover like a, you know, what you would think is a deep cut or like a, you know, quote unquote random artist. And that's what gets them into the style. I mean, um, I, I remember like getting into free jazz, like, my my introduction or at least the, the introduction that cl- clicked with me was um kind of like a, a bit of a deep cut in a sense it was um i think it was the dark side recital by um matthew ship and darius jones hmm. uh it is just like out of all of like the free jazz and free improvisation albums out there it's like yep that was the one that did it for me <laughs> <laughs> it's you know i and I, after having tried to listen to ascension and failed miserably at it <laughs> but yeah. it's certainly nowadays it sounds a lot different than when it, it did back then yeah um, for sure i mean but, but back then i i couldn't get through like a minute of murder's bow so yeah and it's interesting <laughs> yeah. how like that happens you know in both directions you know there's stuff that i think of how it sounded to me when i first listened to it and what you know how it sounds now and be like wow like my my taste was shit back then. Like I, I love this, yeah. but but then but then very much in, in in the other direction where I'm like, holy shit! Like my my taste was shit back then. This is awful. So, um, uh, but yeah. Okay. Well, I uh, I I I really don't have much else to say here. I mean, it's 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 a great bop album. You know, just no complaints. Honestly, I I don't I don't know why we should complain about great albums, but anyway. Yeah, no, I just I think we just really need to rise above those kind of negative feelings, um, and uh, you know I I haven't done a lot of good segue or I guess good in quotes segues. Scott, I I I'm tired of your abuse. Yeah, <laughs> try and stop me. It's it's no use. Um, so I mean th- those weren't those weren't very those are pretty thinly veiled references. Uh, obviously, the TV next, party tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the next album we're talking about is Damage by Black Flag, which is turning uh, 40 this year, which is, is crazy. Is it 30 um, or 40? Oh, you know what? It, it, it is 40. I, okay. I I didn't do a math right. I was going to say, like, I, I, I've never been that Scott, great at math. Do, do I have to remind you that, that I, I have an MFA in creative writing, not not in math? Not in math. Like, I, 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 Scott, I'm, I'm lucky that I can, like, clothe myself right now. <laughs> Well, you know what? Saint A's didn't add their uh, their you know quantitative reasoning um, requirements until after after we graduated. So, um, fuck you, liberal arts. I know. Um, no. Um, anyway. Yeah, yeah we're, I mean, we're talking I mean, about damaged. Damaged yeah. by Black Flag. Uh, this was their you know debut studio album. They put out a bunch of demos and EPs with some really iconic songs from their discography um you know but this is with hardcore henry bro like you know nervous breakdown um is a big one uh who is there keith Uh, morris yeah thank you keith morris who eventually went on to start circle jerks i believe if i'm thinking correctly yes um and this was their first one with henry rollins and it has some of the most like you know not only just some of the most iconic songs for their discography but also some of the most iconic songs in hardcore punk in general i mean they um they obviously use this as a launching pad for a relatively experimental career i mean i think some of their albums i genuinely think are 
pretty experimental, but I think certainly within the hardcore universe, they very much push the envelope and obviously they, you know, laid the groundwork for some, some of the genres like sludge. Um, but on damaged, it was very much a hardcore punk album through and through, uh, rise above six pack TV party, um, spray paint the, the walls. walls. And I, I think the latter half of the album is probably looked over a little bit, at least personally, you know, I think, you know, the, the more in your face, uh, in your face tracks that you you kind of want if you're just a young kid looking for some parkour punk or there, but they get a little bit more introspective and a tiny bit more darker on side too. But yeah, you, you definitely get an idea of like where they're going by the yeah, end of the album. Yeah, like, like Damage Two is like okay, like I, I I can see my war like in this like a lot mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but then you have you know like I said, TV Party is you know quintessential just like. It's such a. I, I know. I know it's silly. I understand, but like, I just love it so much. It, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a great track. I, I. I also. I feel like it's interesting how. It. It very much depends on, the artist because, like, if you if you, you didn't already like if I didn't already have the goodwill I had for Black Flag like like if an artist I didn't like put out a song like that, I just. I would probably be like, this is so dumb. But because it's Black Flag, I'm like, yeah, you know, just Henry and the boys having fun. Just drinking yeah, some, drinking they, some brewskis. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're going to have a couple brews. Yeah, they don't care about exactly. nobody, anybody else. They don't want to know. <laughs> exactly. It's just, it's interesting how, I mean, this is most prevalent for me in hip hop. Like if you, I mean, every, every rapper has like really corny bars, but like whether or not you like them is kind of whether or not you let it pass or not. But yeah, but certainly in, in, in the sense of, I mean, I just feel like everything that you think of when you think of hardcore punk is on this album. I mean, you know, like you have kind of the anti-establishment police story, obviously TV party and six pack are like the party anthems rise above. Which I is got like, a six pack yeah. and I don't like you. <laughs> and like, you know, rise above just general like angst and anarchy. And then, you know, like depression kind of speaks for itself. Uh, Life of pain. You know, it just, there's just so many songs. Gimme, gimme, gimme. I need some more. Oh, there's so many. (laughs) What what I love about, I think some hardcore punk is just like, let's be fast. Let's be, you know, let's be intense. But I feel like they wrote some really memorable, like the, uh, obviously like Rise Above is why I checked this out, is uh, Tony Hawk's American Wasteland, uh, which is a really, really good installment in the series. they had a lot of like throwback punk songs on that soundtrack, but also they had some newer bands cover tracks. I forget if Rise Above was a cover if they had the original on there, but I mean, I thought it was great. So I checked out this album, and I'll always remember the moment I heard that bass line on Six Pack. Like it was just, mm. it was just so. Because I had listened to some other hardcore I... punk at the time, you know, really into Minor Threat, uh, really into like those kind of bands, but I felt like that was. In terms of like the hardcore punk framework, like that felt like genuine songwriting. Like just like well, there was. I, I I think that like, sorry to interrupt. I um this is something I really wanted to talk about because like, Black Flag are like in like this special group of like hardcore punk bands that actually knew how to play their instruments. Yeah. <laughs> Which and, and I, I I don't mean that in a demeaning way to other punk bands because I I think that's kind of like that like quote unquote like punk ethos of just like. 
you're mad. Let's get like let's get a guitar and just like fucking strum it out. Yeah. In a way. But like they were just like a tight knit group. Like they really knew their shit. I mean, you know, I mean you, you can hear that all over like Greg Jin's, you know, work on this thing. But like everybody on this thing is just like just really just super tight. And I mean part of it too is that like uh they I, I'm pretty sure they actually had this the album recorded before Henry Rollins joined the band. Uh, and then he had to add vocals, like, in the studio after. Interesting. I, yeah. The, he just fits... He fit everything yeah. there. And it's it's so crazy where, like, I don't know if they knew they were going to release, you know, like, a, a fucking half weird, like, free jazz punk album and the other half be spoken word. Like, if, if this is... It, it's so weird that he fit, the, like, their hardcore punk phase... But then also was totally the right fit for when they started getting more experimental down the road. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, Damage is just such a great place to start for hardcore punk. Like, I, I mean, I, I think that would probably be my first pick. I mean, certainly, um, you know, Minor Threat comes to mind, uh, Circle Jerks, uh, I, but just. Damaged is just the quintessential hardcore punk album. It it depends on like what what type of like hardcore punk you almost want. Sure, because you you could also I you know I would put point somebody at like plastic surgery disasters maybe too. Yeah, or like maybe maybe more uh, fresh fruit for rotten vegetables. Um, even though I think plastic surgery disasters is the better Dick Kennedy's album, but you know semantics. But yeah, I. God, I fucking love this album. <laughs> this is like by far my favorite Black Flag album, um, which I know is kind of unpopular opinion because my war exists. But I, am, I, I, I've grown to like, like my war, but it's it damage is just so like I don't know. I, I mean, maybe it's just because you know my war really isn't like a hardcore punk album in a way. Like it, it's I don't know, like. like when I put on Black Flag, I want, you know, I, I want to, like, raise my fist in a way and, and just, like, scream at the wall, you know? <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> it is interesting because... I mean, I think... Uh, Slip It In and My War definitely have some hardcore punk. By the way, it always it's always crazy to me that My War, Family Man, and Slip It In all came out in the same year. Like that's a that's an incredible. It, it, it's a similar similar feeling to me with like the Smiths released all four of their studio albums just like in four consecutive years. Like that's just yeah. so so crazy that like you know great. I mean even I think the worst of the bunch being Strange Ways is still a good album and that's you know that's it's crazy they just kind of had this spurt of creativity. But um, yeah, I would say I'd say Damaged is is probably their their best i mean i think i almost think that's kind of hard to argue because i i think there's just more i mean at least in the like popular appeal there's most people will like my war but also like damage i don't know if the inverse is necessarily true and yeah, if, if you I, want the tiebreaker to be influence i mean sure my war was huge on metal and sludge and stuff like that i, I, but, I think that's that's kind of what yeah. i am sort of pointing at because I, I i think a lot of the time people kind of want to listen to like a quote-unquote important album and it isn't to say that damage is unimportant but i think you can hear my war in just a 
you know, bazillion albums after it. Yeah. Whereas, like, Damage was very, like, of its time in I, in a lot of ways. I mean, obviously, like, you know, Damage 2 near the end, you know, like, a couple of tracks off of it are, are somewhat indicative of where the band would go, but, you know, still. No, I think that's a good point, because as good as Damage is, you could kind of say that the general crop of hardcore punk that came out around that time influenced the way the genre progressed, whereas... Um, it really isn't overstating it to say my war like i don't know if created but like my war was probably the most important album in helping sludge grow like there are very few other artists um around that melvin's like melvin but melvin's came after and they actually cited but i mean i think they were they were like i think there wasn't much of a gap but they certainly they credited black flag as a influence Uh, i think there are some other bands like gore that were big around the time what about i think I think of the void. I I I know that there was like a couple of there were a couple of like hardcore punk bands that ended up sort of going into that territory. But like yeah, definitely oh, yeah. none to like to the point of of Black Flag. Yeah, and they did the void did that split with uh, uh, Faith that has like it's pretty yeah. a pretty iconic cover. Um, I need to check that out at some point. Yeah, that's that's a it, it, it it's a good listen, man. Yeah, that's the that's yeah. a cover I've seen like, over and over again that I really need to check out. Um, mm. But we could, uh, you know, I feel like we could talk talk about this album for, <laughs> for a while. Is there anything else you want to say? <laughs> Other than to no. t- tell me to go back to my I, go back to my room? Yeah, I mean, kind of. But <laughs> I, I, I guess, I guess that that's kind of our signal to move on, um, for sure. Yeah, and uh, we are moving on moving uh into a much different direction i would say um only 10 years later so somewhat in the in the ballpark uh this is laughing stock by talk talk and i learned that talk talk were a band because i heard their version of it's my life which i always thought was a no doubt song (laughs) <laughs> and when I heard that, I was like, because I was like, this isn't the version I know, but also it sounds too old to be a cover. So I looked and it up. probably it, better. Yeah. No, it, 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 I was like, I like this better. Um, and it's very much em, you know, emblematic of their sound. You know, their first few albums, very much 80s, you know, synth pop, new wave, um, art pop. And I guess what people, this is always a weird genre to me. It's like sophisti pop. Where it's kind of like oh, like ele- yeah. elevated synth pop, like you wouldn't hear this on the radio. You'd hear this like your your cool cousin who wears like a trench coat with a pop collar and smokes, you know, Virginia <laughs> Slims. It, I don't it, know. It indefinitely owns a guitar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they, you know, up, up you know throughout the eighties, they released a you know, string of albums that were you know in this vein. Um, and it wasn't until. 88 when they released spirit of eden that they went through you know it was still a more pop oriented album uh i haven't listened to it a ton so i'm kind of going off of just general knowledge but uh more pop oriented album you know a little bit more in the art rock direction and more specifically in the post rock you know and this is not like you don't expect you know a, a godspeed album or you know like a proto godspeed it's it's almost like 
And certainly, you know, we're talking about Laughingstock, that really they doubled down on that post-rock uh, blueprint. I, to me, it almost, it's, it sounds more like atmospheric and jazzy art rock. And like yeah. in a way, like the way that manifests, it makes sense. Like it totally, I totally understand why this was so influential. Like there are a bunch of artists that, you know, like talk, talk of the influence and specifically the last, you know, like the latter half of their career where they, they were in this post-rock direction. Um, I mean, Tears for Fears, Radiohead, um, Elbow, you know, the, the Mars Volta, Stephen Wilson, and obviously, you know, Porcupine by extension. Um, Death Cab for Cutie, you know, like that's that's quite a, a breadth of bands that it makes sense why this more atmospheric, artistic approach to rock, you know, spoke to them. And, and um, I think it's interesting that the way that I think the trajectory of their career kind of makes sense, like in a way going from synth pop, synth pop to post rock sounds bizarre on paper but i think the way that they slowly change their sound um kind of works or at least it, yeah. it, it, it it's kind of a logical progression um see i you know it's it's funny because i i, I guess i was doing some background reading on it and, and it, it's kind of weird actually like how i don't know how opposite it almost feels because like in my mind like I, synth pop is like very like regimented and like you know it has you know you, sometimes you'll have like a swing to things but like you know it, it's very much like it kind of feels on a grid in a sense like you know it, it, it because you know you have people using like sequencers and stuff for the first time and what have you um, but with like Spirit of Eden and even like the previous the Talk Talk album that was previous to that uh, Mark Hollis was kind of introducing a lot of like improvised moments in it and um, you know specifically I mean with Spirit of Eden and Laughingstock it was like entirely improvised basically Laughingstock was entirely an improvised album that they would just record for hours and hours and I, I, I guess like apparently in the dark too um, which is, you know, which is an interesting thing to kind of think about. Um, that, that honestly but, makes sense. That just, yeah. <laughs> that kind of just sounds, well, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, so, so, so they would record all these improvisations with like guest musicians and then, um, they would sort of go back and sort of, you know, splice through it and, and just kind of re-edit things, um, to make it, you know, sort of a you know like a normal song progression in a sense you know get, kind of bring things um more structure um you know and, and i don't know I, I just see the difference between that and like you know listening to like a depeche mode album from from the same time to be like just completely like night and day mm -hmm. um but yeah i it's it definitely feels more like a like a jazzy album than it does like a post rock album you know i though i i've i mean i i think this is like an example of like why terms like post rock kind of fall flat in their face yeah in some ways no for sure because i think just like if you if you approach like what that term technically means you know it's kind of like rock but different i guess <laughs> like like it look okay well, I it, guess... it, it's 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 the uh you know it's the final evolution of rock. It's yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. It, 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 like it's just like yeah, except it isn't it. Yeah, it's like <laughs> yeah. is it rock? No, it's it's post 
it's, rock. It's, it's uh, after rock. It, yeah. Even today, it's kind of taken. Um, like I think technically, a band like Monobody is kind of in you know some you know some overlap in like the broader post rock genre. Like it's definitely well, I, ebbed. I, in... I, I think I think it's because like math rock and post rock, you know, kind of had very similar, you know, or at least like early post rock. Yeah. Had, uh, similarities because like you know like slint is considered like a post-rock band yeah. even, no. but it's just like i mean okay why are, like how are we even defining this now you know yeah. because like at the same time like tortoise is considered like a post-rock band too and i'm like yeah yeah sure man no uh. exactly and I, I just the reason i think it's notable now particularly in particular is because there was a stretch in the 90s and early 2000s where you know I feel like post rock meant post rock. Like it was, you know, Mogwai, Godspeed, and then you, of course, you get to Explosions in the Sky core, where basically, just 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 think of the Friday Night Lights soundtrack, like you know, where you know a pensive high schooler is looking at the sunrise on you know on the bleachers of his high school, thinking of, you know pondering his existence, and you just have like the the very cinematic you know, crescendo core as it's called. And I think that's, that's, it's kind of come full circle where post-rock was this just nebulous. Wow. Like this is different. And then now it's kind of a more varied genre. And in the middle, I mean, obviously I, I, I love post-rock. There's some, you know, great albums in there, but, um, I think that that's been a common criticism levied of the genre, um, on a surface level. But I, I feel, feel like that's the case. You know, I know that, you know, the Eden and Nick have been on this that I mean you could say this about any genre that if you only pay attention to like surface level you know I mean you could easily say that like, you know hip hop's really fallen off the rails and it's like well I could give you a dozen rappers that are doing things that are interesting like if you only follow you know the the, the, the rappers like the, Billy yeah, Woods or yeah, something. If, yeah. You, if you only follow the, the rappers that get you know more pressing you know press attention and, and get the most attention then certainly that's you know that's that's the conclusion you're going to reach but it's not the full story um yeah and i I think part of it too is just that like you know um certain sounds evolve out of those genres you know like i I think we've talked about this with deathcore a lot where like you know you you kind of have like this like 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 a genre version of like inbreeding almost Hmm. where like you have these bands that are influenced by the bands who were originally influenced by other bands in a way and it just kind of becomes this homogenized you know mess after a while like you know dubstep is a really good example that like original dubstep was very forward thinking electronic music for its time and then you know fucking skrillex just just is like the epitome of like why people hate using the word dubstep basically (laughs) yeah Um, it's yeah but anyway, like I, I really want to talk about laughing stock a little bit, yeah. uh, as as much as I do like this conversation, uh, genuinely. Mm-hmm. Um, I there are just some because I you know I haven't listened to this album a ton. I think it was my album of the week a while ago uh, because I just never listened to it before, and I really like it's it's one of those like rate your music you know top tens or like top twenties that I just never listened to, um, and I just like I. I I really love this thing, you know. I, I I just like it's so just intricately, you know, composed, or at least you know, like um, when it comes to just sort of how the instruments are sort of fading in and out, and sort of the use of you know space, I guess, with it. Like the whole thing sounds like 
it, it, it's like you can hear the empty room that they're playing in. Like, I don't know whether that's a production thing or what have you, but I, I just, like, I love the way the thing sounds. Um, and just, yeah, I there's so many like little little moments that i really love i love the drum beat on ascension day especially um like i I feel like somebody needs to sample that in a (laughs) way and like use that to make like some like sort of like uh kind of like chiller breakbeat music Mm -hmm. in a way but um i love the the, i don't know if it's like a sax freak out on uh after the flood love that moment just the, the harmonica on tap head is just oh like i mean i i really like that kind of like distorted like amplified harmonica sound um and it just has so much so much like i don't know it, it just feels so big you know in the mix um ah yeah that's like they you know it, I, in reading in doing some research on this album i apparently like that was a big thing for mark hollis was like you know sort of this idea of just silence and just wanting to keep things minimal and I think he said something like you know like I would rather have one note played than two basically mm-hmm. and and you you can hear that a lot and just like you know even when it comes to like his vocals that like his vocals are just very sparse you don't hear them a ton through the album and like but like when they're there they really matter and I think that maybe that's kind of his point is that like yeah, I think by by stripping things down, you kind of get to the the things that really matter in in this music. So, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's interesting to to listen to you know, music in hindsight versus you know when it came out. I would love to know what like OG Talk Talk fans thought about you know how the band's I, discography progressed. So. I, I rem- well I remember like I remember reading that like sort of the critical acclaim was like mixed to positive kind of mm-hmm. um and like apparently they had um the yeah the band had a huge falling out with uh with their label at the time and there was like a lawsuit and everything and they were end up like getting um they ended up being able to leave the label and go to um to verve mm-hmm. if i remember right um and and like yeah and the, that that's how this album came out uh like all that was was from spirit of eden actually um but yeah it, was, it it definitely seems like it's it's like one of those albums that you know is now being critically assessed in a new way uh whereas i think at the time it was you know N- not not dismissed, but like definitely not given the acclaim that it has gotten nowadays. Like mm-hmm. it, th- this thing has like a ten out of ten on Pitchfork and stuff like that. You know, um, the, the, even though like that means so little nowadays. Yeah, but <laughs> but, but but yeah, exactly. Like I feel like we, we have the benefit of hindsight that you know now we can kind of view it in the you know what happened after. You know, we can kind of say things like this was an influential influential post-rock album where obviously at the time you know there was no way no way you could have you know read the tea leaves in that way um but i think that's you know i agree with everything you said about the the quality of the album i mean i i love how i mean i love listening to it through that lens where you could like just kind of enjoying the album for what it is but you know the 
the space, the atmosphere, you know, clearly they have a background in, um, you know, extent, you know, they have a background in writing melodies. I mean, obviously that was the, you know, the, the hallmark of their career or, you know, in their early days. And, and now they're approaching mm-hmm. writing melodies and writing interesting ideas in a totally different way. Um, but I think, you know, listening to the trajectory of their career is fascinating in kind of the, the compositional shift that you just talked about that, you know, someone who went from writing, you know, synth pop classics that get covered by Gwen Stefani, um, to totally abandoning that very basic, you know, kind of classic structure and, you know, venerating the hook and, you know, big, big flashy pop synths and kind of approaching space in a very different way. And, and I, I kind of admire that. I, I think it's, it, I really gravitate toward those kind of stories. Like when an artist very abruptly changes their sound, changes their, their style. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like it actually makes a lot of sense that an artist would kind of lose making that kind of synth pop and like new wave would really lose its luster and wanting to do something different and completely reject what happened before. Um, and I'm glad he did because it's, it, it's like you said, it's, it's, it's really easy to see, you know, in the same way that slint Spiderland does not really sound like the, you know, like modern day math rock does not really sound like slint. You totally understand why that genre is born out of that. You know, very much in the same vein, totally understand why post-rock you know rose from what happened on laughingstock and uh um preceding album which is escaping me at this point did uh spirit of eden yeah thank you yeah i think you're talking about because technically mark hollis put out like a solo album after this because that was what their contract needed was like two albums and then he just retired from music basically yeah, so I, I think that, yeah, that I forgot the exact timeline, but I know he released a solo album around that period. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I would have loved to see what, what he would have done, you know. Like, I, I, I wonder if, like, how much weirder he, he would have gotten, you know. Like, I wonder if he would have been, like, a, um, almost like an improvisatory Scott Walker in a way. <laughs> Like th- that would be an interesting, uh, you know, alternate reality to check out. <laughs> but but I, I also, I also, I mean, I think just in the same way that going from synth pop to making this you know more sparse atmospheric music that makes sense in terms of like abandoning what came before, abandoning music entirely also kind of makes sense. <laughs> you know, like I to- yeah. I totally get why that was the well, next step. It, where you know, well, no, but for, for him, I I think it was because he had a family. Um, and he, you know, he said basically just that, like, he couldn't be a good musician and a good dad at the same time. Yeah, um, exactly. And I, I think, obviously, there are plenty of musicians who find a way to balance both. And, and yeah, it's, it's for certainly... sure. But I, he, he was talking about himself. He was just... No, no, like, but, but, know, but I'm yeah. saying I think for him, you know, born, you know, obviously I don't want to psychoanalyze him, but, you know, I, I think that he... That sounds like he was losing interest in music in general like he was like i i don't See, you know i i, I want to reprioritize i don't know Be, because he, he shows like he is he's not you know completely washing his hands of the music industry like he shows up on a bunch of different albums and songs you know throughout the years um it's just not you know he's not doing you know a project mm-hmm. you know um 
anyway, but yeah, I, I'm I'm really glad we got to talk about this album because I I think it's just it's just it's genius. I mean, I it's one of those albums that like I I feel like it it can only grow on you the more you listen to it. Mm-hmm. Like it's just and it, it's not exactly inaccessible either, you know. But it's yeah, it, ah, I I like you know when I listened to it for the first time for listening for this week, um, I was like. Yeah, this is really great, but I don't really see myself buying it anytime soon. I'm like, I need to get, I need to get this now. Yeah. Like after I was listening to it today, yeah, I'm just like yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. All right, so I, I don't really have a whole lot more to say here. Um, are you? Do you want to move on? I only hesitated because I couldn't think of a good segue. I, I I know, I know. Um, I, I could I, I could kind of hear that. In well, the maybe <laughs> we'll just turn the dial to one o tricks point never. <laughs> you mean magic one o tricks point never? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And this is replica, and by by one o tricks point never, obviously, uh, and. There's a reason that we talk about, and certainly, you know, I, I gravitate or like I, I highlight how important album art is because yes, this album in particular. I mean, I, I had no, I mean, in general, I thought One of Tricks Point Never. Like, I'd heard the name, and I still think that's such a cool name. It just has, it is <laughs> such a nice ring to it, which I guess makes sense because it's, you know, it's based on a radio call signal, yeah. and that's, you know, in general, those stick in your head by design. Um, yeah, but the album cover for this when it came you know, in 2011, um, I it just it really struck me like it's such a cool yeah. like it's Which I, I I didn't know this that that it was actually an illustration from Weird Tales. Oh, I didn't know that either. Uh, yeah, cool. yeah, it's it's so it's a it's supposedly like a vampire looking at itself in the mirror. Interesting. Uh, yeah, it, but but then there's an interview with 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 Daniel Lopatin, and he uh, he says that it's like he finds like the image kind of silly in a way because he has like the skull has like spaghetti hair. Yes, that is <laughs> and, like, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I look closer, and I'm like, holy shit, he's right. <laughs> yeah, it really does. We have the great great album cover, um, but I think better is it is the music on this thing like i that out of all the albums we talked about today like this is the one i'm most excited to like gush about basically yeah i mean i uh i had no idea what to expect for this when i first listened to it back in the day this is a few years ago i finally bought it uh we it was like a, a holiday retreat for a company i was working at and the ceo gave everyone 100 bucks we were at fanny hall in boston and said you know you spend this in the next hour Otherwise, you have to give it back, which was obviously. But just, <laughs> I, 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 otherwise, you know, I, we're not going to get a tax break this year. Yeah, no, but but yeah, obviously the point was that like you know, literally just you know, just spoil yourself. So I, I went to Newberry Comics and just bought a ton of records, and this was again, I had no idea what it sounded like, but I just thought that the the cover was it just struck me so much, and you know, I got a hundred dollars for free, so let, let you know, let's do it, and. I knew that it was like a sample-based album, and I mentioned, you know, so when we're on the bus ride back, people ask like, you know, what, what would you get? And I said, it's, it's sample-based music. You know, it's you know, Plunderphonics, which is still one of my favorite 
genre names. It just has such a cool ring to it. Um, oh, we we should do an we should do an episode where we like talk about like original Plunderphonics oh, we, we artists sh- we like, like John Oswald and stuff. Yeah, that'd be really cool. We really should. Um, but anyway, yeah. someone said, "Oh, like he's one of those people who steals music from other people," and I just I don't understand. I mean, I I, I get it, the idea of sampling. You know, if, if you ever really... Well, I, I, to, to be fair, that that was kind of the original Plunderphonics thing. I mean, that's what John Oswald got in, tr- in a lot of trouble for, was, like, literally sampling, like, you know, freaking Dolly Parton and stuff. Yeah, I, know, I mean, it, you know, certainly, so. you know, there's, we could talk about, like, there's a way to, way to do it appropriately and whatnot. But yeah. In ter- like, in terms of, like, the artistic merit of it, I don't... I, I would challenge anyone to listen to an album like... I mean, one of my favorite things... Um, one of my favorite, like videos on youtube that people put together is when they they show the samples like this was one from mad villainy they show the samples and then how the tracks come together and like mm. no, like having just the general you know, like mental capacity and just like the ability to put those sounds together and this is you know this is based on samples of uh 80s and 90s you know television advertisements like, I mean, I, I even listened to a similar compilation video of, like, showing where he got these sounds from and how they put them together. But this is such a... This is such a, a great artistic achievement. Like, the way that he... It's a rich tapestry. If yeah, you know. <laughs> exactly. No, it's just... It, it just sounds... It sounds so... Like, otherworldly. Yeah, like, it really... You, you really feel... Like, all those... 80s and 90s you know like i think of like the original computer screensavers or like those those big like like the random shapes like when you, you listen to like vaporwave almost and obviously you know mm. daniel lupton has like a yeah, i think he dabbled in vaporwave early in the day dude i mean he he's largely credited with like inventing vaporwave yeah. basically uh, so like with like chuck burson's echo jams and um a couple of his old uh albums that like only got you know put into a compilation later on yeah you know shit like that but um but he i I just yeah it it feels like you're just kind of floating through the you know flowing through the either of all the you know all these weird like bizarre shapes and colors and and it's just it's it's like so beautiful but haunting at the same time yeah i uh for for me like i mean i See, I bought this a few years ago, and I've I've never hated it, um, but I definitely, it definitely didn't click with me as much until like this year, basically, when um, I was working on a story, and for some reason, like that, like this was like the album I needed to listen to for that, mm-hmm. um, and I probably put it on like three or four times while editing this thing, and I just like, I I was just so like for some reason it just kind of. It, it matched the, the story perfectly in a way because it had like this this you know like replicas like this this dark darkness to it that is that's like like it reminds me a lot of like it like if if david lynch kind of came out of like retirement from making like feature-length films like i feel like opn would be doing the score for it yeah uh like because because there's like this there's like this sense of humor throughout all of it, but it's also like very dark in its own way. Like it, it feels like sort of like um, kind of like post capitalism gone wrong, like like late stage capitalism gone wrong in a way, where just like 
everything's meaningless mm-hmm. and we're all consumers and we're slowly killing ourselves. You know, so, so basically now it's basically the soundtrack to now. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, it, it just has this, this atmosphere to it that, that just like is so haunting and yet just like effervescent at the same time. And it's just like, like it, it it's, it's like, um, Oh, what, what's the, it, yeah. It's, it's like musically uncanny mm-hmm. in a way. Um, yeah, I, I just like, I love how like artificial yet organic. It's like, it, it just feels like so paradoxical in so many ways when it comes to trying to describe it. Um, and I mean, th- there have been people who have made like essays talking about like, you know, sort of this related to, you know, various cultural critique and what have you. And I, I think Daniel Lopatin is actually like familiar with a lot of that stuff. So it, it doesn't, it doesn't really feel like out of place. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I really, I think this thing is just amazing. Uh, just every track on this thing is, it just, just blows my mind. I, Up is probably my favorite though. Um, j- just like the way that track works in my mind, it's just so, it, it's, it's like, um, have you ever heard of, um, there's a, it's a play called, um, uh, uh, Mr. Burns. It's like Mr. Burns, like an electric staging or something like that no i haven't actually yeah so i i haven't read it i really need to at some point but it's um it's basically a play in three acts that uh is like a post-apocalyptic world where people are just sitting around a campfire recounting their favorite episodes of the simpsons and um that that's the first act and and then you see in like the second one it becomes like apocryphal story basically and like by the third one it's just like just straight mythology but it's still all dealing with the simpsons episodes Hmm. like it 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 it, replica feels like that a lot to me where it's just like it feels like like yeah like the mythologizing of popular culture in a way which, which i guess is literally like kind of like what vaporwave is um but yeah, I I just I'm so like just fascinated by this album, uh, and I, I actually just bought R plus seven the other day, um, so I've I'm, I've been kind of on like a OPN kick, <laughs> so yeah. I'm, 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 anyway, I'm looking back now. I totally forgot. I mean, obviously, um, I think we both loved Magic One Tricks Point Never from last year. Um, I actually never listened to it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I thought we reviewed yeah, it. Yeah, no. I, um, I don't think we did. Oh. Yeah, no, um, I really haven't, I haven't listened to Age Of, I haven't listened to Magic 10 Tricks Point Ever, I, I haven't listened to, um, even, uh, Garden of Delete in full. Garden of um, Delete is real, I was gonna say that, uh, oh, that's I, a I remember album. really disliking that album when I, when I first tried to listen to it. Interesting. Uh, I, I really, yeah, but, yeah. I, I really just like I, I might just buy like his like everything I'm missing from him. Um like over the next few days. I, I know I really want I really want to buy Riffs, which is like a compilation of like a bunch of his old albums, like uh, I think Betrayed in the Octagon is on that and stuff like that. Um because I I, I just I, I, I need I'm on an OPN kick, man. I, I, I need my fix. <laughs> yeah. And I I know I know neither of us are really into soundtracks, so I, I won't tell you to buy or listen to them necessarily. But I would really—I've heard, 
I've heard that both Good Time and um, and Uncut Gems are really good. Yeah, I mean, like for for one, I I, I love both movies. I thought they were really really good. Um, I I haven't seen either, but I really want to watch both of them, especially Uncut Gems, because like seeing Adam Sandler in a dramatic role is he, like very rare, but he does it really well. It's I don't understand. Like I don't understand why he makes the you know fucking grown ups movies, and then like he was in a movie. Um, I always forget. What, I always forget what it's called. But Punch Drunk Love. No, uh, he was in. Well, I mean, I'm sure he was in that, but like, uh, he was in a movie. Um, <laughs> Did that that was like one of his first like dramatic roles. Yeah. actually. and it was a pretty good movie. The but. first first ever dramatic role I saw him in, he was a um, basically he's a a widower. His uh, wife and and three daughters die on 9/11, and he basically just kind of like loses his mind in a way like he just really has a hard time processing it obviously and then one of one of his old college friends they kind of run into each other serendipitously and just he like eventually helps him get out of his you know get out of his shell helps him you know kind of cope with everything and he is amazing in that movie adam sandler he's so he has one scene in particular that's just like incredible um and uncut gems a very very different role but also i just i don't understand I guess you, you, probably the easy answer is, you know, what kind of movies make money? You know, when he does, like, like the grown-ups movies. And what, he was in that uh, movie Pixels, where, like, aliens, yeah. you know, aliens move, like, they mimic our video games. and some, or, <laughs> Which, by the way, is, like, an actual Futurama episode that came out, like, a decade earlier. <laughs> hey, you know what? Semantics. Uh, honestly, yeah. <laughs> if, if the President of the United States in your movie is Kevin James, I kind of think that that's... That's kind of where the, the conversation should start and stop, personally. But yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Kevin <laughs> James in anything is is just a big but, no thing. But especially if you're, um, if you're like, if anyone, I would I would shudder to th- well, I guess I shouldn't say, um, shudder to live in a country where someone would elect someone like Kevin James. But anyway, that's not. I mean, but, I, well, but, I see. I I was gonna say like I I I didn't want to mention this, but I'm like, didn't we already elect Kevin James as I, president? I was gonna say like I don't. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I said that maybe that's not a rabbit hole we should go down for a number of reasons. Yeah. But and, and, yeah. Anyway. anyway. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, yeah. This is a this is a really transfixing listen, and I I ah uh, man, like if you haven't listened to this, uh, he he's one of those. Oh, I just totally cut myself off. But uh, anyway, those two movies are really really good. But it is absolutely a case where the soundtrack enhances. The, like in both cases, the soundtrack totally mm. elevates everything that's going on, and I totally forgot he did. Uh, I saw Good Time first, and I totally forgot he did the soundtrack. And maybe like at most ten minutes in, I was like, "Man, this guy sounds like One of Tricks Point Never." And I googled it, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh shit, yeah, I forgot he did this." Um, so yeah, he just. Uh, but you know, kind of to bring things full circle, I really think. Yeah, like he just has always given me the vibe of like a a soundtrack without a movie, so it makes per- yeah. it makes perfect sense he would literally do soundtracks because oh, man. his music is so I I would kill to watch the movie that Replica is the soundtrack of yeah man that M- would be maybe that's gonna be my thing I'm 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 gonna try to do that you know what I I'm gonna try to do that that is gonna be my thing for like the next few months. I'm gonna to try to make a, a soundtrack to, or to to make a movie following Replica. So, 
Uh, ch- check back with me in like two months. I will. I will. That <laughs> maybe yeah. more than that. Yeah, should yeah, two months max. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. They, I mean, they, 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 that's that's how long taking a movie takes, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh, I, I right. I'm serious though. I, I I this is something I'm really gonna do now. So uh, go for it. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah we'll, we'll we'll see where it goes. Um, I'm actually gonna write uh, it down just so I don't forget. <laughs> love it. Anyway, but yeah, uh, all I have to say is, album good. Please listen. <laughs> that's that, yeah. That's if, if you take it, nothing it, away. It good. It good yeah. with a U, not not a, not two two O's. <laughs> if you take nothing away from this this whole episode, just listen to Replica. It's a, it's a great album. Um, yeah. Uh, obviously, to take other things away from what we just said, but that's a that's a big one. That's a big takeaway. Yeah. For sure. Um, sure. Speaking of albums that we listen to, do you want to do yes. albums of the week? I would love to do albums of the week. Uh, do you have one to go, or do you want me to to go for it? I do because uh, I, I just, oh, man, I just have been on a. I don't know why, but like, I just periodically like I'll just check Bull Moose to like find stuff, that, like see if they have it, and some of the stuff I found recently I've just been like over the moon about, and also. Uh, there have been like certain albums that I'm looking for for Lauren or me, and then like I just raid their super the super cheap CDs they have that particular seller, and like finding a really good cheap haul. So uh, this is a a cool find that I, I I bought just because I really like this artist, and I've been wanting to give this album another shot because I remember liking it but not loving it at the time, and it kind of received mixed results. Um, but I I really really enjoyed it on second listen, and I actually am glad I listened to it so much later. And I'll explain why after I tell you what it is. It's uh, Autotheism by the Faceless. Okay. Um, at the time, I liked the tech death on it, and like the kind of the pro- progressive death metal that you heard on uh, Akodama, and certainly on Planetary Duality. I mean, he definitely picked up where Planetary Duality left off. Um, some of the the progisms I thought were kind of corny on autotheism when I first listened to it. Now, after like kind of breaking my prog bar- you know, prog barrier and like getting into prog rock and prog metal, it is very very par for the course. Um, like it just I, it's it's not like to me it just sounded like what everything you'd hear from the greater prog universe, um, and it's it, it's really good. Like I I understand why. It's a little bit more pronounced than on Planetary Duality. Like, there's a lot of... Depending on how charitable you want to be, or, or, you know, rather how critical you want to be, either they're paying homage or they're, you know, totally ripping off bands like, you know, Cynic and, you know, Porcupine Tree and, like, other other prog bands, like, with, like, the vocoder and the use of different, like, ancillary instrumentation, like piano and strings and, and synths and stuff like that and some other arrangements... But I think it comes together pretty well for, um, you know, when they try to do things. I mean, I w- wouldn't say that my favorite moments were are like on the third movement in the autotheism movement. There's like a kind of a awkward carnival sample that I think <laughs> I rather I thought was more awkward back in the day. Now I, I think it's. I mean, I, I don't think it's bad. I like it. But um, the death metal on this album, like I totally 
let those elements distract me because they really refined everything about Planetary Duality, which I, I think is one of my favorite um, Tech Death albums. But I think just the, the, the playing is tighter. You know, the riffs are, are, you know, a lot more. So would you count this? Like, do you think this is a better album than that then? Um, I still prefer Planetary Duality because I think that Akodama kind of sounds like it sounds a lot like the death, like the more death metal leading death core in the early 2000s. And it was also bizarre that they had like, I, I don't know if every track had a different drummer, but they used multiple different drummers across the album because they didn't, they didn't have one. So it just, it sounds different. Like not every drummer drums the same way, obviously. So some songs are just like, much faster like they don't do blast beats in the same way so it's a little disjointed um and i think mm-hmm. autotheism they definitely were you know kind of pulling other influences like the kind of prog metal playbook um i think planetary duality is probably their best because it just sounds the most like them like when you think of the faceless you think of you know songs like you know xeno christ prison born the title track is amazing um but i think I, I picked Out of Theism this week because I think it's a great album. I think in terms of like just sheer musicianship and songwriting, they probably get a little bit better, but maybe some of the risks they took. Um, I don't think they're bad now. I mean, I certainly understand like where I was musically back in the day, why I wasn't super impressed by them, but uh, I get it now. I, I haven't listened to In Becoming a Ghost. Um, I just haven't. Uh, I do want to check. <laughs> I do want to check it out now. Um, but one, the cover is like just awful. Um, oh, I'm gonna have to. I I, I remember this vaguely. Yeah. I'm gonna have to look it up. Yeah. And one, the cover is terrible. And two, there's a. Oh yeah, I remember this. Oh, the, 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 this little friend on the on the album cover. Oh. <laughs> and two, there's um. There's a Depeche Mode cover like right in the middle of the album. They cover Shake the Disease. And Okay. I don't Isn't I, that like off of Ultra? Uh maybe? Yeah, I, I think so. Um Let me see, I'm I'm looking it up. Um Shake the Disease. No, it's a single. Oh, it's from 1995. Yeah, no, wait. I was I because I, I I just remember like Ultra is just like full of like these like kind of metal inspired yeah uh, tracks that yeah it, it, it's it's an okay album <laughs> anyway yeah I, I mean um, I think for me the. I, the covers okay. like it's it's not bad. It's a little, um, you could tell that they just were like super excited to do a Depeche Mode cover, and it's a little like some <laughs> like sometimes like the vocals are a little too theatric. It's just a little much. But also, I just yeah. I, I just never liked the idea. And again, maybe this isn't fair. I haven't listened to the whole album. I don't think I've listened to it once. Uh, it felt weird that it was in the middle of the album. Like to me, that that would make it super disjointed. Like it's a cool, it's like a, like a cool little bonus to have at the end of an album, but 
Like yeah, you're listening like, to I mean, original material and then suddenly like, is this a Depeche Mode song? Like that just sounds weird. Sometimes, it, sometimes it can work. Um, like if it kind of works like with the music that's going on. But yeah, but like I mean, off the top of my head, um, uh, a Perfect Circle does a cover of um, the Nurse Who Loved Me, and I I can't remember the original artist, but that shows up about halfway in between the album, I think too. And but it it doesn't feel out of place. Uh, but maybe that's also because I don't really. Uh, know the original artist very well you know it's like same thing with like um how like there are a couple of covers on uh the on florence and the machine's lungs um you know and like you know girl with one eye is is like a cover and that's like in the middle as well um but you know she kind of does her own thing with it mm-hmm. um yeah anyway kind of kind of getting way off way off track here no, yeah. but I think that's yeah. I mean, it's again. I haven't even listened to the album. I don't even know if it's uh, if it doesn't work. But um, I, I should because I I thought that after Planetary Duality they just went off a cliff, and clearly I was wrong because um, Odyssey yeah. isn't really quick, really quick <laughs> with me this time. So I'll have to check it out. Yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm glad you I'm, I'm glad you enjoy it, man. Because like I, I always remember how critical you were of that album. Yeah, um, and and I yeah. totally get why because the. The things I didn't like about it are things that are just they were just general styles that I was not into at the time and now I am. So. I guess I, I, I totally get you. Yeah. I totally get that. Anyway, that was a long rambling pick, so why don't you take it away? <laughs> yeah. Um so I actually had to look this up uh a few days ago just to see if, if this album had we had talked about this yet, but um we hadn't and it's but 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 we did talk about it uh as like an uh anniversary album i believe and it's one of my favorite punk albums uh it's maybe the best punk album of the 90s if you ask me and it's uh and out come the wolves by rancid nice <laughs> yes i uh i had this on in the car it is just such a great car album uh, I feel like I say that every week, in a way, but <laughs> I, I think the like just to have an album like this is just so uh, just rancid. Just are like I I I, I don't know. I, I I cannot think of a band like a punk band that can write a better chorus. Like they have just the hookiest, like just earwormy choruses, and I love it just to death just like in, in like it's not just like one track it's like every single friggin track and there's like 19 tracks on this thing <laughs> like every one of like it's just so like so so earwormy and i love it uh i mean maxwell murder ruby soho um uh back in olympia washington uh i mean yeah it, junkie man uh yeah just so good man I, I i love this album so much and it's it's one of those like uh, I well I actually I think the first time I, I ever heard it I was in Bulmoose with my sister and it was just on the um it was on the on the PA there and I was like, Oh, okay, I'm buying this now <laughs> And uh it's a it's a it's an album that me and my sister actually really like together, which is like super rare because she's she's too busy listening to like Khalid and shit. So <laughs> like she she's one of those people who like unironically likes AJR and stuff so it's it, it's it's very rare for us to have 
you know, uh, similar music. So um, I love the yeah. I love, so I, I, love I just the random shots fired at Katie. Oh, she knows. Oh. She knows. <laughs> you know, like because but we'll always joke about it, and she'll be like, "Oh, well, do you like this?" Or you know, I'm like, "No." <laughs> I was like, "I'm sorry, I really don't." <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, I I this is just a this is just a happy album for me. It's just a great album overall. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I, um, I, I remember I got into them actually with, uh, Operation Ivy because I was, I was a ska kid and, uh, mm. the, I think Tom, Tom, what, what's his name? Uh, I, the main guy I from, don't. Yeah. The main guy know. from Rancid was the guitarist and songwriter for Operation Ivy. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Rancid, like I got into Operation Ivy, but then Rancid at the time was just like more. I'll, I'll say it's like a better version. Like it wasn't just because they were like a newer <laughs> newer band, so like their music just sounded better. It was like better produced, uh, but definitely his songwriting improved. It was a little bit. It was beyond just like we're gonna make fast, danceable ska punk. It was uh, like, hey, we're actually gonna write like good punk songs that people can, can yeah. listen to in any context. So. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it just just a great great album. I love this thing. Uh, are you thinking of Tim Armstrong by the yeah, way? Yeah, Tim. I knew it was a T name. I knew it was a T name. It was it was a T name. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It, it, it could have been Tiffany, but but in in this time it's Tim. So <laughs> Tim, Todd, Tom, whatever. It's it was in the ball, yeah. it was in the ballpark. Todd. Todd. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, that that's that's all I have to say. Um yeah. Well, I, I guess thanks for listening, and we'll uh, we'll be back next week. Sounds good. All right. Until then. Bye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening, guys. And uh, if you're interested. Uh, you know, if you want to hear more, just, you know, listen to us on uh, iTunes, Pod, Apple Podcasts, Android Podcasts, anywhere you can get a podcast, basically. Uh, We're on all of it. Uh, if you follow us on Anchor, too, you know, whatever works for you. And uh, definitely be sure to follow us on Twitter. And if you ever have any suggestions, topics you want us to talk about or questions, anything like that. Uh, be sure to email us. Yeah, uh, we're at, at Seishara Podcast on Twitter, and our email, I think, is Seishara Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, as always, thanks for listening. Yeah, appreciate it a lot. Bye.